What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Guys, if you're suffering from hair loss, then I've got the answer for you. Go to Bosley. For everyone listening to this podcast, Bosley is giving away a free info kit and $250 off gift card when you text my name, CVV, to 203203. Bosley offers the latest technology and the only permanent solution to hair loss. People all over the country trust Bosley, and Bosley is considered America's number one hair restoration practice. Bosley offers both surgical and non-surgical solutions, and the sooner you take action, the more options you'll have to keep your hair or put hair where you need it most. Two out of three men will experience some degree of hair loss by age 35, but with today's technology, you don't have to live with hair loss. Get started today with a free info kit and $250 off gift card. Just text CVV to 203-203. It's that easy. Text CVV to 203-203. It's Chris Amania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man. Oh, Look at powerful questions. <laughs> Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! Welcome back to the Chris Van Vliet Show. This episode is brought to you by Bosley, Indeed, and Bet Online. And I'm really excited for this one today. I mean, I get excited for all of them, but especially excited for this one because Eugene was one of the most interesting characters of the mid-2000s. And I've always wanted to pick Nick Dinsmore's brain to find out what went into the creation of this character and how he was able to get over so quickly. Because, I mean, think about it. He was a massive baby face and was very quickly put in storylines with The Rock, Kurt Angle, Hulk Hogan, Vince, Triple H, and so many others. And just such an interesting conversation and an interesting ride that he's been on in his life. Take a screenshot. Let us know that you're on this ride with us. I'm at Chris Van Vliet on social media, and Nick is at Eugene Dinsmore. That's the letter U, then Gene, G-E-N-E, Dinsmore. And if it's your first time here, hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And man, we've got uh, we've got some big ones to end the year. And look, I don't ask for much. But if you could be so kind as to leave a review, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts right now, it would be so greatly appreciated. Uh, it really helps other people find the show. This is the biggest thing that helps with the growth of the show. And I'm going to keep reading one out on every single episode until May 19th, till my birthday, till we get 2,000 reviews, because that's the goal. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being on this ride with me. This one is from Nick Young 87 who titles this, Listening to CVV at CV. G. That's the Cincinnati airport, by the way. Hey, Chris, I'm a longtime listener of the pod. I started listening to the show in the summer of 2019 while sitting on the toilet at the Cincinnati airport in between layovers. (laughs) 
I've now made this my weekly ritual while traveling through airports from coast to coast. About six months ago, I started carrying a Bluetooth speaker to listen while sitting on the porcelain throne. The amount of comments I hear through the stalled doors is unbelievable. Just last week, while in Las Vegas, I had a man ask me what the show I was listening to was in the bathroom. Well, that man ended up being Forrest Whitaker. He told me he was going to download the show and start listening as well. (laughs) Keep up the great work, Chris. Well, thank you, Nick. There is no way that that review is actually real, but that is awesome. That's that's the kind of reviews that we want to see on the show here. So thank you for crafting this incredible story. And if, you know, by some small 1% chance that that was real, (laughs) thank you for listening to the podcast on a Bluetooth speaker while going to the bathroom in various airports across the country. (laughs) You're awesome. Also, a big thank you to Coda. That's K-O-T-A. He's on Twitter at Coda iRadio Network WK. And we connected last year, and he was telling me all about Eugene's wrestling promotion, Midwest All Pro, that he started in South Dakota. I was actually a guest on Coda's podcast called Uncut Live. We had a great chat there. But a huge thank you to him because he was the one who lined up this interview with Eugene, which yeah, I super appreciate. So thank you, Coda. The original plan was to do this interview in person last year, but you know, scheduling just it didn't come together. We weren't able to do it until now, but super grateful that we're able to do it now because it's just such a good conversation. There's a lot going on in here. And I was, yeah, I was just so curious to find out how Nick came up with the Eugene character and what his inspirations were. And I think the fact that Nick Dinsmore is an amazing wrestler in the ring is what made Eugene so interesting. Uh, and I think that that's often overlooked, how good of a wrestler Eugene actually was. Like, his matches were very good. We also talk about some of the controversy surrounding the character and some of the behind-the-scenes demons that Nick was dealing with in his own life and, you know, the time that he spent in rehab. We also talk about whether this character would work in 2020 or not. So here we go. I hope you really enjoy this one. It's Nick Eugene Dinsmore. There he is, Nick Eugene Dinsmore. You got like a whole like wrestling man cave behind you here. Yeah, like right there is when I did that WrestleMania commercial. And then that was that cape I used to wear. And then that was my teddy bear. But I've also got these too. You know, you know what the best part about having your own action figure is? You get to play with yourself in public. (laughs) I like that you held up Doink the Clown because I don't know if everybody knows this. I don't know if everybody knows that you were Doink the Clown. Not all the time. I think Doink the Clown should be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. It's a timeless character that has always been over. The minute he came out, instantly recognizable, smiles on faces. And if that's what the WWE is all about, then Doink the Clown should be in the the WWE Hall of Fame. And every guy that played Doink the Clown on TV that is still remaining alive should be allowed to get a... How many times were you Doink the Clown, Nick? Two times. On a... uh, I did it on a pay-per-view, and then the next Monday night, or no, the next Tuesday, I think I did SmackDown. So, and this was before you were officially under yeah, contract? Yeah, this was before I was huge, maybe 2003. So this was kind of like one step above, you know, being an extra, basically. Yeah, they, they, they knew who I was. I'd been in developmental for quite some time, and I'd done a conquistador, and I'd been in extra work, and I, I did some stuff. But uh, they had JBL's Barroom Brawl. And that's when they brought out the Easter Bunny and 
Doink the Clown, and then they brought out the Brooklyn Brawler, and Brooklyn Brawler beat up Doink the Clown. I'm so excited to have you on the show because you just have such a fascinating story. So I really appreciate you carving this time out of your day to do this. Absolutely. And congratulations to you. Uh, your, your wrestling company, Midwest All Pro Wrestling, just turned five years old. So congrats to you on that. Yeah, um, I was a coach at the Performance Center in 2015. I knew I always wanted to run my own wrestling company ever since I started at OVW and kind of saw what Danny Davis did there and what, what the business model was. I thought, you know, I, I think I could do this, something I'm passionate about, something I enjoy. So uh, 2015, my wife and I came to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where she is from, and uh, we started Midwest All Pro Wrestling. And you were telling me this off camera. You're the only independent wrestling promotion in the entire state of South Dakota. Yeah, when um, when we were thinking of moving here, I said, there, there's got to be some independent wrestling company there. She's like, I don't think there is. And we got here and there, there was nothing. The closest one is about three hours south uh, in Omaha. There's been, I, I've heard some rumors of people running various shows, but nothing really month to month, week to week, storyline driven, you know, I'm, I'm also training stars, so I've trained, uh, I have five, 25 right now, but some I've trained before, so I've trained more than 25. Um, some, some quit, some couldn't make it, some moved on with life, but I got a good crew of about 25 or 30 guys now, and uh, we're trying to carve out a little territory. Isn't that always the case with wrestling school? You know, you start off with a whole bunch, and then it just kind of gets whittled down as the weeks and months go by. Uh, I had my first event uh, November 2015, and from that, I got my first two students. So our following event was um, in February 2016. Shannon Baszler came, uh, wrestled on the show before she was signed, and I had Carlito come in. But then my first two students had their first match on that event. And so all their friends and family came, and we did a big... I ripped off the Desire video. Like, like I told you, I loved it. You know, the, the, the whole Creed song and, and tailored it for, for them. And, and from that, I got six students. So it just kept multiplying and multiplying. And I've had some guys with me for now, now for almost five years. Um, so these guys have wrestled monthly, weekly, in the ring, working out, getting better. When someone walks through the doors of your wrestling school, what are you hoping that they have? What kind of skills are you hoping that they have? Well, the thing is, is I'm a business, so I want to find out what his goal is, and then I want to help him try to achieve his goal. If his goal is to wrestle for the WWE to get a tryout, there's a certain road that we we have to take, and you know, realities might need to be faced. But regardless, there's you know, there's an expectation when you walk into a tryout of of, of what you need to be. If you just want to have a wrestling match and and play wrestling and and you know, just want to like what like what I did, I said I just want to try it. I just want to experience it because I didn't want to uh, live the rest of my life wishing that I, you know, tried it when I was 19 years old. Yeah. So I just went and did it and I didn't think anything of it. And just, I got a little better and things came around. Then all of a sudden I went to USWA. So that was pretty cool. So I kept wrestling and then I did some WCW work. That's pretty cool. And then I got signed by WWE and I was just I was sitting around. I, I never even expect, expected to get called up to TV when, when, Rob Conway and I were signed. We were more like uh, practice dummies to work with the WWE talent. And uh, after spending so much time helping train th those talent, they finally uh, they finally came to me. Well, I, I told the story a couple of times. I complained. I never complained. I was always the, the, on, on time, smile, whatever you need, working extra hours, you know. But I complained. I told Doug Bash, my friend, I said, I think I'm going to quit and tr try to go to Japan. So Doug told I think Dean Malenko, Dean told Johnny Ace, 
Next thing I know, I'm sitting in a meeting with Vince McMahon and Stephanie McMahon. Stephanie McMahon. Okay. So six months, eight, eight months prior, Rip Rogers gave me the idea for, for what became Eugene. What about a uh, character that can't put a square peg in a square hole, can't tie his shoes, can't you know do this, but can't socialize. But the minute that he you know he gets into wrestling, he does it flawlessly, does it perfectly, kn- knows all the history, knows all the trivia. Sitting in the meeting with Vince, Vince goes, I want to get back to character-based wrestling. And I just blurted that out. He goes, great, we'll start on Monday. Wow. So then I have to, I mean, I have to figure out, you know, who, who, who is Eugene? Because I, I, I was just, it was just an idea that Rip sent to me that I, I put no, what, what they would say now, no character study, no um, finding out what the archetype of the character is and, and all the things like that. It was just a, a blurt out. So I just went out there and, and just started having fun. My first match with Eugene was against Lance Cade and wasn't on TV. People never heard of me. Um, Lance ended up shaking my hand and then closed on me and beat me. But Eugene had, had made the people laugh and they endeared him. And at the end of the match, I got beat and they chanted my name. Never been on TV. Wow. So obviously fans are very familiar with Eugene, but who was Nick Dinsmore, the wrestler, before Eugene came around? Like I said, when I grew up in the in, in the Louisville area, and that's where Nightmare Danny Davis settled, and he started Ohio Valley Wrestling in the Louisville, Kentucky area. When I was 18, I said, well, I think I'm just going to try this. So I started training. Um, like I said, I just kind of continued on. And then when Danny Davis and WWE formed a partnership to train WWE's developmental talent, I then kind of got hired along as, as, as part of the crew. Um, I was I was making, I know I was making the lowest of all the guys there, but again, I was just happy to be there. I didn't care because I was doing it for free before I was paying to do it before, you know, and now I'm making a little bit every week. I'm like, this is great. Um, but that whole time as I was wrestling, I was just Nick Dinsmore. I was from Louisville, Kentucky, the pride of Louisville, Kentucky, Mr. Wrestling. Uh, Cornette was the one that was the matchmaker, the booker, the, uh, uh, creative. And he said, well, you know, you can wrestle. So let's just call you Mr. Wrestling. And it was just something that because I had Jimmy every week on TV preaching my name and putting me over and writing me in very good spots, I was the top guy. Babyface, heel, and, 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 and all the, you know, the main event matches, but I was Mr. Wrestling Nick Dinsmore. So you certainly owe a lot of what you accomplished early on in your career to Jim Cornette. Absolutely. To Danny Davis, to Rip Rogers, and to Jim Cornette. Because hmm. Danny was like the first one to train me in the ring. Rip was the one that I was in the ring with. He was probably 42 at the time. He just kind of phased out of WCW. Um, and he was in the ring with me every night and just puppeting those people. He, he Back then, he, he was to act like a heel. And he, he'd kayfabe us in the dressing room, and he'd act like a heel. And he, we'd, he'd just go out to the ring, and we had nothing planned. Because when, when all the students wrestled one another, we'd plan our matches out, and he wouldn't talk to us. And he'd just get out there, and it looked like he was beating the heck out of everybody, but... He was the fucking most awesome, most gentle, like, like, and he's the one that taught me how to work, how to listen to the crowd, how to slow down, and just, he was the one in the ring. But then Cornette was the one that wrote me as a star. He got me over in Louisville. Um, he wrote, a, 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 I progressed going to a series of uh, WWE talent that they would bring down, that the heel manager was bringing down to get to get Nick Dinsmore. I brought down Al Snow. I got to work with Al Snow. Benoit came down and got to work with Benoit. Uh, Brian Christopher was, was, was the only one that beat me, though. So that conversation you were referring to with Vince and Steph, that's when you were still in OVW. You were basically, you were kind of kind of like seeing if they'd call your bluff. 
you were saying, look, I'm going to go somewhere else, hoping that maybe the squeaky wheel would get the grease. Exactly. exactly. I, I tell that to all my guys. I'm like, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. You, you have to ask for it. You know, you, you can't be rude or you can't do it incorrectly, but I was just going to, hey, I'm going to see what my options are just to see what happens, you know, because there was also a lot of things actually in Japan that were going on that, that, that were enticeful, you know, other than, you know, I love wrestling in Louisville, but I'd been wrestling there for eight years by the time that I think I got called up. Wow. Eight year overnight success, Eugene was. <laughs> did you have a plan when you started going to wrestling school at 18 years old? Did you, you know, if, if wrestling didn't work out, did you know what well, you were going to fall back onto? I was still, I was in college. Okay. In a, a branch of Indiana, in Southern Indiana. And I graduated with a, a communications degree. Back hey, me too. <laughs> I, I, I have never once used it, but I just did it. I mean, my mother wanted me to do it, so I did it. And it was, uh, the, the college I went to, um, it was a commuter college. So it was really just, I'm still living at home, just going to school. So it was, it was very feasible, but yeah, I got a college degree, never used it. I was just, I've just been in wrestling. I just went to it. It was, I was drawn to it. And you're still in wrestling. That's right. Now, now, now I'm promoting it. Yeah. Now I'm putting it, it, it out there. It's like one of those, superstars. it's uh, it's one of those things. Once you get into it, you can't get out. Right. Like the mafia. <laughs> just like the mafia. <laughs> When you had those original conversations with Rip Rogers, when he came up with this idea for the character, what was your initial reaction to it? Um, by that time, I'd gotten to know Rip very well. And, 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 and he, he saw me, you know, as an assistant coach, but, you know, he, he was also like a mentor. Um, and he would just try to give me ideas every now and then. What, what about this kind of, you know, something that you could pitch to creative? Because back then, we wouldn't see the creative team twice a year, maybe. Uh, we would see an agent every week, but then they would send like a creative guy down. It was just, it was still in the infancy of a, a different stage of, of whatever they call developmental now. Um, and so, you know, Rip would just give me ideas. And when he gave me that one, the creative team, uh, no, 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 the, the producers came down for the, the first week. It was either Arn or Fit or Dean or some of those guys. I think it was Fit or Arn, I told the idea of Eugene. And he's like, I don't think we can't do that stuff anymore. You know, that's kind of like hokey 80s shit. You know, they won't do that. Okay. So the writers came down, pitched it to them. Like, no, nah, we, we, we don't go in that direction. You know, we, we don't do that kind of thing. It, it, that is something that we would do. Okay. And for some reason, when I was in that meeting with Vince, I still blurted it out because that's all I had. <laughs> that's the only idea I had. Is, it, you know what I've been, you know what Mr. Wrestling's been doing and you haven't wanted it. So this is the only other thing I got. And they went for it. I don't think that they thought I would succeed. I think they thought I would fail. Because the first match I had against Lance Cave was a non-televised event. Uh, I came back through the curtain. Hunter, Stephanie, and Arm were on their feet. Applause. It, they said, you know, you gave yourself to the character. You, you, uh, uh, I always forget the, the exact word that he used. But, you know, you, 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 just, you, you went at 100%. It was, you, you weren't out there playing something in wrestling. It was just, you went for it. And, and they were really impressed. And then when I got on TV, I'd been wrestling for eight years. So I'd made plenty of mistakes. Yeah. And I'd learned enough that, like, when I was there, they gave me a little bit and I did well. They gave me a little bit and I did better. But plus, you know, I, I feel like since I worked with Rip and Rip taught me how to work the crowd, it, it was easy to do. And when they bid on it, I could puppet master it. Sometimes uh, uh, that's one of the more, I feel like one of the more difficult aspects of live performing wrestling is, 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 is to really capture that crowd and guys try to do it and they think they know how to do it. And sometimes they don't. When you had those original conversations about the character, did it have a name? Did Eugene have a name? No, no. Actually, I went to the office and they had me shave 
and I did like some some pre-tapes, you know, my name is Eugene, I'm coming, and they never ended up using them. Um, then they said, no, no, grow, grow the beard back, it looks better, it looks scruffy. And then they just debuted me, but they put me as Bischoff's nephew, yeah. which, which put me in, in, a, in a great spot already, gave me some credibility while I still throwing a dig at him. The, the special kid is, 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 is Bischoff's um, uh, family. And then when they put me with Regal, and Regal was just coming back from, uh, I believe it was the, the, he had had some a parasite get in his heart from India. He wrestled in India and had, had some really bad, he'd taken some time off. He was just coming back and uh, Regal and I just hit it off, you know, personally, but also, you know, but, you know, in, in wrestling, he, he would leave me somewhere, do something, tell me to do something. And then when I did it, he would let me have the moment and he would get his little, get himself over when, you know, when, when he could, but he was, it was awesome to be able to work with him. So where did the where did the basis start? Like you, okay, the the character gets approved. Then when do you, where do you start doing your research? Who starts to inspire this character? So I would watch some of the fans that came to OVW. Some of them uh, younger kids, and I remember I try to think to myself, you know, when I was a kid, how did I feel like I reacted when you know, those pictures of me when I'm five and I'm just like clapping at a, at a birthday party? I'm like, you know, I'm so excited or. Some, somebody really gets angry at you and makes you scared or, or something you know, embarrasses you. It might be something. And I just tried to, because up to that point, I remember Jim Ross had said, you wrestle good, but you got the Malenko disease. You, know, you, you, you got no facials. We can't do anything with that. Okay. So then I, tr- I turned it all the way up and just, and I tried to make the biggest ones I could. It got to a point where I was almost just like, okay, I, I can do the wrestling. I can do it an hour Broadway and never do the same hold twice. No sweat professional, but you want me to just be a goofball. So I just turned it up as, as high as I could and made, made every facial and everything try to, trying to pop the, the, the guys in the locker room or the, the people that were there. Do you think that this character would still be able to work in the political climate that we have right now in 2020? One thing I know about WWE is that they, that they can almost always make anything work. You know what I mean? They could put it out there in a light that the people will go, okay, and, and now I understand why. You know, when when Eugene first started, I didn't have my first match till two or three weeks on TV. And those first two or three weeks, some people had, had I'd heard like radio stations or news outlets or something were, what is WWE going to do with this character? You know, what are they going to do? They didn't know. They, they didn't know. But the minute I won my first match, then they know that it's an underdog story, you know, of, of of a boy with a dream wanting to be a wrestler and he's, and he's fulfilling that dream. I think that, you know, people from the outside looking in before you wrestle a match could be worried that maybe you were making fun of people that, you know, might have, might be special needs. Yeah. Um, I thought about that going in, but I just, the, the time it, it was my opportunity. So I was going to either sink or swim on it, but I've gotten so much positive affirmation afterwards. So many people, I, my, my brother's has special needs and, he told me that he knows that he can do anything because Eugene did it. And mm-hmm. I more times than I've ever been, you know, you're making fun of people. No, you are giving them a voice. Oh my God, there's somebody like me. That's, that's what I want to be. That's what WWE should be. There should be a representation of every type of person that there is around the world. So you, I can connect. Did you think, you know, before going on TV with Eugene, did you think it'd be controversial? At that point, I was starting to get into the machine and, and just, it, it starts going and, and, you know, then weeks start going by and, and really it's just a surreal time that you jump on the train and it just starts taking off. And you really, you really don't have to have time to sit back and reflect and then see how people react and say, Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that or something. It was like, let's go. And we're going with it. 
Yeah. When you look at some of the actors that have played special needs characters in movies, who do you think's done a really great job at that? I don't know if it's a great job, but the, the Johnny Knoxville's movie was funny. Uh, yeah. Where he entered the Special Olympics, you know, that was pretty funny. But the comparison was was Rain Man. That was like, you know, we want you to be the Rain Man of wrestling. Because in my head, Rain Man just looked like a dude, but he had a mind that could do anything. Yeah. And that's what Eugene was supposed to be because it was there was a layer of the character that never really got exposed, but that was he was supposed to have you know all the, the trivia. If there was ever a trivia question put out there that he he'd answer in 1962, you know, and then have all the all the answers. And uh, it's part of the character that I, I think never really got developed, but that was in the idea. I guess what comes to mind for me is is Tropic Thunder. And I'm sure you know where I'm going with this with Ben Stiller's character, Simple Jack. And he says, like, you never go all the way with it. Would you say that there's some truth to that? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know because uh, I, I had to go all the way with it, you know, because I had to immerse myself in the character. And if you've seen the, uh, the the Jim Carrey Netflix where he talks about being Andy Kaufman. Yeah. And he said when they wanted him to do the REM video, he couldn't do it because it had gone. It was a time in his life that he just something opened up. That's what happened for me. And, and now now I, I, I can raise my voice and be goofy and do comedy wrestling. But that whoever Eugene was, that was an opening in my life, a time of magic that was just like right there. And it was, it was surreal, but it's, I don't have it now. Well, you I know, like, it back up. Are, are, were you Eugene all the time on camera Absolutely. and off camera? Absolutely. Yeah. Really? I, I would travel with uh, William Regal and Tajiri. So it was like Barnum and Bailey circus. <laughs> Tajiri and Regal had, had their jokes back and forth. Yeah. And then and then throw Eugene in the mix, and I would drive, and I'd come in the parking lot half swerving, and I'd jump out, and Tajiri would act like he's selling, and Rico would come out like he's having the heart attack, and I'd say, I just I just got my uh, permit, my permit, and I'd run in the building real quick, and all the fans. Yay. So you could, I mean, right now, could you just turn Eugene on like that? That's like I said, man. It was a time then, you know. I I I, I can remember it, but sometimes yeah. I don't have that focus, I guess. Do you still wrestle as Eugene now? Um, as Midwest All Pro owner, I have to be you know somewhat more of a, a, a <laughs> stern character. But everyone knows that I'm former WWE superstar Eugene. When I get in the ring, they chant Eugene. But it's a little uh, it, it, it's a little evolved. My uh, intellectual property of the Eugene character has been signed away, so this is a new, different kind of character. He's sometimes called Eugene. Yeah, you dash Gene. Yes, yes. Yeah. I think, I've, I've never been. I've never been complained about it. So I think there's a real lesson to be learned here, though. For you know, you were eight years in developmental, eight years in OVW. You know, trying to trying to find your way, and then you saw your opening. You saw this door that was slightly ajar. You jammed your foot into this door and made that door open wide up for you. I think that there's a real lesson there to be learned that you should take the opportunities that come to you even if maybe they don't look like how you thought they'd look? Well, I looked at the product at the time. The brands were split. They had Hurricane, and I believe Rosie was with him on SmackDown, but they didn't have a kid's character. They didn't have a, a, a comedy, a, a, a selling, you know, I'm always, you know, everybody wanted to be the NWO or Austin at that point. Everybody wanted to be cool and strong and do big and be on the attack. And I wanted to do comedy and, and, and be sympathetic. You know. That's the role that they didn't have. So it played right. It played perfectly. And then the fact that Brian Gerwitz, he was the one that wrote it, the writer, 
was phenomenal. Like he 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 goes back to write for that and just started and, and that was it. Boom, boom, boom. He actually wrote a movie for Eugene. Really? Yeah. Where's the movie? They put Big Show in. Oh, <laughs> wow. I don't know that Knucklehead is the exact script that he wrote for Eugene, but I think some of it is very similar and the story is, is very similar. So when you got the okay from Vince to go forward with this character, it sounds like you had like less than a week to actually figure out the nuts and bolts of this. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I, I, the only time I did it was uh, in St. Louis with Lance and then we just went live on TV. But then when you, you know, I watched your debut recently and you nailed it. I mean, the Eugene that we saw in your debut really wasn't that different from the Eugene we saw years after that. Like you I had, had too. you'd had honed that I'm character so perfectly. Yeah, I don't know. It just happened. I just, I went into it. I was like, I just, I've just got to become whatever this childlike character is going to be. You know, wow. I have to have the emotion of, of, in my head, that was it. You know, like, like naive emotion. And you caught on with fans so quickly. What was the, like, what, what were some of the initial reactions that you had from fans where you really thought, okay, what I'm doing here is really working? Um, like I said, the first match that fans are cheering for me. Yeah. But when they put me in the ring with The Rock, that elevated me like, oh my God. It was like, then p- people knew who I was. And then fans really got endeared to me because I was The Rock's friend. They liked Eugene and he was funny and he was building, but that was like, you know, they just put it over the top. It went from a slow build to, oh my God, you're, 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 you're a top guy now. You're made. Yeah, well, what, what were the steps to take to get there? Like, you seem to have a pretty fi- fast rise. I mean, but it was a character that was different. Yeah. Brian could write for it. Yeah. So they just started featuring it. And then I had, you know, a lot of guys that start now don't have excuse me, a lot of guys that starting out don't have the eight years experience that I had because I had eight years of very good experience, you know, very good training. And whenever I was given an opportunity, I would usually nail it because they would limit the amount that I could do thinking that the green guy is going to mess it up Mm. and I would just nail it. So then they just give me a little more and a little more. And I'd been a top guy in Louisville for six years. So I knew how to wrestle like a top guy. So the fact that they put me right in there with Triple H. Yeah. Um, and guys like uh, uh, Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle wanted to wrestle with Eugene. Wow. And, Kurt, and you beat Kurt Angle. He, he had a storyline written for it where uh, he was going to do something and his teeth were going to get, because this is before he put in the mouthpiece, to lead to the mouthpiece. He was going to have something where he busted his teeth and he had to have his mouth wired shut. And then they knew that uh, uh, the Olympic champion and then Eugene was going to show up at the airport and they're waiting for him, the, the two limo drivers. And Eugene comes out after he won the medal with the gold medal. Well, that must be the Olympic champion. Puts him in the, the limo and takes off. And Angle comes out with his mouth wired and bumps his toe or something and starts screaming. Blah, 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 and he's like, you can't. And so they, they put the head and put him in the, uh, the bus and boom, he's out. And it was all this funny stuff that was really good. But at the time, they wanted to build Kurt as a... a a killer to uh, work with Cena. So they limited the amount of comedy and made him pretty mean and vicious. What was it like working with The Rock, both in the ring and behind the scenes? Um, so like I showed up that day, that Monday, we were in San Diego and Sylvain Grenier comes up to me, one half of La Resistance and goes, they're going to bring The Rock in to be with you tonight. I was like, no, they're not. No, that's ridiculous. No, that, that's not going to happen. You're ripping me. Uh-uh. But I wouldn't believe it. So as the day kind of gone on, they come and said, yeah, he might show up. So I figured, well, he won't. It's not going to happen. And it got right to it, and he showed up. And then we, we we had the one segment, but I had, I think, seven segments, so or maybe four. And, and I was running around doing different things, and I would go back because he was working with Brian on 
the stuff that we were talking about. And I had the one line, you know, whatever, Triple H, um, who's your favorite wrestler? And I missed it every time. Every, every time in practice, we run through it. And my God, I'm just, every time I'm flubbing it in the ring, live on TV, I had no idea where we were again. And I would have flubbed it. And he's just walking around as the people are chanting. He just walks by me and goes, here's your line, kid. And then says it and let it right to me and fed it to me. I mean, just put it, spoon fed it to me. And it's like, that made me. That 15 seconds. Wow. Who would you say is the best person that you stepped into the ring with? Mm. I mean, Triple H is, is, is called the ring general, you know, and, and, and he's, given, he's given the, he made his way because he's really good. He's really yeah. good in the ring. I mean, he's really, I mean, and it was, it reminded me of the way that I used to work with Rip because Rip could puppet those people and work slow and be mean and have those people, you know, suspend that disbelief and bite in and get hot. And Triple H could work the same way at slow pace and then feed somebody for a comeback. It's very similar. I think it's safe to say a lot of things have changed in 2020, including how we work. Businesses across the globe now are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time. There's no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria so you can contact them the moment you sponsor a job. This makes Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit today at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer that you will find anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. The offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. And football is back in full swing, baby. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off by wagering on wins, division, and championship futures. You can do this all day, every day. So head to Bet Online and take advantage of their great sign-up bonuses. Just make sure you use the code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. You were also in the ring with Hogan. I mean, we, we mentioned uh, Kurt Angle. You beat I Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle. I, I was in the ring with Cena. I helped work out with him. I was in the ring with The Rock. I was in the ring with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania 21 to have my WrestleMania moment. It's tough to say what's the best of them all. <laughs> did you ever think that Eugene could be, uh, I mean, you were tag team champion, but did you ever think Eugene could be a singles champion? 
I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really. I mean, the thing is, Eugene didn't need it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I could have been. They could have written some story, but yeah. you know, Eugene to me was the, the character, much like a George Steele or a Bushwhackers that yeah. wrestle for three or four months and then come off and come back and oh my gosh, hey, they're back and just a little rotating comedy, a Santino type role. Yeah. Do you think you could come back again now? Like maybe a surprise appearance of the Royal Rumble? Well, my lawyers told me that I cannot confirm or deny that I'm currently in contract negotiations to come back for a, a, a limited number of dates. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's really interesting is it took you a while to find the Eugene character and hone it in and, you know, and it looked the way that it did on TV. Was it hard on the flip side to find Nick again? No. Cause that's just, I mean, that was, but actually they're both very natural. Eugene has a sense of, of, like I said, that, that raw, naive, youthful innocence, yeah. you know, just trying to hone in on that and what, what was right and what's, what's right and what's wrong in the purest sense. And then I feel like I'm pretty much the same way. Although I have to sometimes come out of that, uh, that little bubble of Camelot where, where, where it's magical. So there, you know, a lot of Eugene is, is really just who you are. For me, I feel, I feel like if someone is going to do a gimmick in wrestling, mm. I'm not going to say actors because I don't know the process they would go through, but it has to be some part of you that you can really immerse yourself in. The guy that, like I could say, you're going to be a fireman and you're going to be a, a bank robber, and but if these people don't know how to do these characters, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to work. But if you know everything about snakes, if you're a snake hand, learn a snake breeder, that might be the guy to put the snake with. You know? Yeah. Except uh, in that example, Jake the Snake, I, I think, didn't like snakes <laughs> at all to begin with. Regal's the one that should have brought out a snake after a while. He Is that right? That over. Because he, he's got, in his house, he's got a big herp aquarium with all these snakes. And uh, he had some in Colorado. We wrestled in Colorado and we went to the snake farm because they were breeding them. And I'm holding, I'm freaking out. And he's like, he's like loving it. He's the one that should have come around the snake. Wow. What would you say? Why didn't I think of that before? <laughs> what would you say is the best advice that you got in your wrestling career? I don't know. I mean, because it, it, it was it was like an education. Mm. It wasn't like one piece of advice. It was like slowly rip to help us learn. He would do something that we knew we were going to mess up, and then he would blow off the handle and get mad and come back and he'd pull me aside. Sometimes we wouldn't pull other guys aside. He'd pull me aside and say, this is what you did wrong. You should have done this. You should have done this. Do you know why? Okay. And then the fact that I could generally only make a mistake once, I could learn it, was then, you know, I, I just kept getting better and kept getting better. It was something that was, I, I, I felt. I don't know. With how over Eugene was, and it was just such a lovable character, did you think that there was ever any reason that you would be released from WWE? I, I mean, I, I I don't know. I'm, or like, I wasn't thinking about it. But I, I guess because at one point I lived in Louisville. I moved, I moved to Phoenix for a couple of years as I was Eugene. And then I was phasing back into uh, a coaching job at OBW. So I moved back to Louisville. So, yeah, I, I was I was intending on moving into the coaching side of it, which I, I did that eventually at, at the Performance Center. So I think, I think I've had maybe 12 to 14 Total years working for him. Wow. So, you were a trainer at NXT, right? In the performance yeah. center for when, a when, year. When, when they moved from FCW to Orlando to, to the performance center, I was in the first group. I was one of the coaches and I was coached for maybe a year and a half. 
Why didn't that end up lasting longer? Um, I don't know. I just know that I probably wasn't uh, putting out my my best performance because I was in an environment where I was uncomfortable and I was uncomfortable because, I mean, these were people that I looked up to that I was in there with Terry Taylor. There was Dusty Rhodes. There was Triple H sitting next to me and I would get nervous sometimes. And I might just be quiet and assess the situation, but I'm not really putting out a lot. And I feel like in that environment, you got to be on and going. Um, And I I would kind of sit back and I would make, I knew what was going on and I was aware. I was just, I was just, my mouth shut. My ears were open. Right. And that might not have been the situation for it. Um, I love the the coaching aspect of it. Didn't necessarily care for the producer aspect of it, but it was a great uh, education to see yeah. the tools that these guys are given now and what they're expecting of WWE superstars today. You know, the fact that I I, I got to teach that and coach that, and I've still got the manuals and all that, so I know what they're looking for. I feel like I do. But it's an ever-changing so this, process. So this was 2014, 2015. Who were some of the talent that you were in there with? So Ron Strowman started in my class. Chad Gable started in my class. Um, I worked with Charlotte. I worked with um, Sasha Banks. Right before I got released is when um, Finn Balor and Kevin, Kevin Owens were hired, and, and, and they were sent to the performance center. And like the, the first month that somebody comes to the performance center, they generally don't let them participate in. And well, when I was there, when we, when we did, they didn't let them uh, go in ring. The first month was get yourself settled, find out what's going on, and then we'll get you in there. And so Kevin Owens is sitting ringside because he's just watching the class. I sit down next to him, talking to him. And he said, like, I think the first time he ever wrestled was for uh, Jacques Rougeau, I think is what he said. But he, he kind of, he, he acted like somebody else really helped train him. But I think he's, it's, for some reason, the first show was Jacques Rougeau. So a couple of days go by, I come back and said, they got a, they got a character for you. They're going to bring you in as the new Mountie. <laughs> and he was starting to cry. I said, man, you can't let him do that. I'm like, I can't do that. No, I said, no, it'll be great. It's going to be awesome. You're going to, you have the red thing. They might even bring Jacques in for you. It's going to be great. And he like, was, was beginning to panic. <laughs> Needless to say, it didn't happen. <laughs> But, I mean, what do you do in those situations where you're pitched a character that maybe you don't believe in or maybe you don't want to do? You do it. Yeah. You're going wholehearted. You, you know, how can I make the best of what I'm given? You can always say, I'm not going to do that. You have that option. But unless you got a really good reason, that, that generally is, okay, who can do it? I can. I'm overprepared. Right. So it's a matter of, yeah, it's a matter of who's willing to step up at that time. There was a story about a particular WrestleMania where there was a match. We need to cut a match and we need you guys to go four minutes. I can't have a match in four minutes. Okay, who can? Uh, I can. Okay, go. Wow. That was it. One guy was in and one guy was out. This reminds me a little bit of the story. I just had Chavo Guerrero on and he was telling me the story of how Kerwin White was pitched to him. And he's like, I didn't, didn't really want to do it, but... And I, I wanted to be on TV and I knew that this character would be on TV. So it's like, I'm going to take it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the best that I can with it. You got to admit yourself wholeheartedly and just accept the, the character and make it for what it is. Which is exactly what you did with Eugene. Yay. Ah, there, there's a little bit of Eugene right there. Yeah. There, that's, <laughs> that's, there's, there's definitely still some Eugene in you for sure. 
Yeah. What you going to do, brother? So now that you know what WWE is looking for, when you're training your own students now, how does it affect the training that you have? Well, like I said, if, if there's been several guys that have come to me and say, says, you know, I want to get a tryout. So, okay. I try to prepare them to be most ready for that yeah. situation. Um, I feel like sometimes the tryout process is made to make people feel uncomfortable to see how you react to that stress. So sometimes you, you can't replicate the environment, but we can try to replicate the uh, cardio level at which you need to be. So that, that's, I, I've heard that that's one of the biggest things about the tryouts is the cardio. It's intense. And you're probably not even wrestling for the first several days, are you? Um, I think some of them, even the guys aren't even trained. So, so they don't wrestle at all. Like, like no some of the tryouts, well, yeah, they, they, I don't know for sure. Again, I'm, I'm not there currently, but yeah, yeah. There, they had some tryouts for guys that had wrestled and they had some tryouts for people that had, had not wrestled at all. Yeah. Wow. So there's is- a lot of running and, and exercises and trying to do roles and you get some of these big guys that aren't, you know, haven't perfected how to do a role and you're trying to hustle them through it. It's, it, it becomes painful and agitating and. Yeah. With the current situation going on right now in the world, what does Midwest all pro look like with COVID? Well, South Dakota, I think, I believe we only have, I could be wrong, 400, 480,000 people in the state. Sioux Falls has uh, 172,000 people in the city area. So there's not a lot of people, although we are now a hotspot. Um, they have not yet shut anything down. Even when the shutdown, we, we had to stop wrestling. All, all the, the live events had to stop, but so as it slowly picked back up, our Republican state has been fairly open. So um, although it has hindered attendance, it necessarily only for about three months hindered uh, putting on shows and training. I counted the other day, I've been to a lot of different states and I counted the other day, I've been to 33 states and the Dakotas are not, they're not included there. Well, this so, is Rushmore state. Well, this you is know? the thing. So, so if I made a trip to South Dakota, what do I need to see when I'm there? So I, I, I would probably come in a, in a July and you come out to see the Mount Rushmore. You, you know, if you want to go to Sturgis, there's always wall drug, which is like promoted for miles and miles. Come to wall drug. Um, but then, of course, you'd have to come to Sioux Falls, the best little city in America. And you'd have to come to a Midwest All Pro Wrestling show. And we have uh, generally a July show is probably one of our bigger shows, um, usually outdoors in the sun. All right. This is it. Next July. I'll be there. I'll book it. Okay. Speaking of uh, speaking of Mount Rushmore, I get asked this question a lot, and I'm curious to hear what your Mount Rushmore for wrestling is. Yeah, we, we've done this before, right? Okay. So Here we go. I feel like you have to put Vince on there. Ooh. And that throws everything off because everybody thinks <laughs> two of the four guys, but you got to put Vince on there. You can't not put Vince on there. I feel like you got to put Hogan on there. Yeah. And then it's like, for me, yeah. it's Rock Austin Cena. Oh, you wow. I mean? Like Rock Austin Cena for getting over and drawing attendance and, 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 you know, if we're in a business to make money, those guys have drawn the money. Wow. That's a great opinion. point. Yeah. You know? I always leave the rock as number f- and rocks, my favorite wrestler of all time. I always have his, him as number five. He's the honorable mention because I argue that rock has become a bigger star since wrestling rock only wrestled for like seven years or something like that. He's become a bigger star since wrestling. And then I replaced that spot with the undertaker. Always difficult decision. I mean, that's the thing. It's to, to narrow well, down to just four, was so actually hard. supposed to be a, a, a bigger construction, so we can actually start adding heads like <laughs> Donald Trump to do. 
<laughs> I have heard that the actual Mount Rushmore is smaller than you would think it is. Yeah, it's it's built into the. I mean, it's beautiful, but it's it's not as big as you would think. Um, the I, I heard on some historical reenactments that the uh, whole sculpture was bigger, but they got kind of started, and I don't know if they ran out of funding or the guy died or or they just switched. <laughs> I mean, it's. It's Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's, it's like Mount Grand Rushmore. Canyon. You look at it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. And then you go, well, that's the Grand Canyon. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the Chevy Chase scene, right? You're like, well, yes. there it is. Well, the Badlands, also the Badlands are, are there around the, the Sturgis and Deadwood. You, you have to go to Deadwood. That's almost like uh, country western Las Vegas. It's, it's, it's phenomenal there. Um, that's definitely a place to go. Well, I will. I look forward to going there in 2021. I will be. I will be heading. Well, I've, I've, I've been many places. You know, I've, I've been to 21 countries. I've been to all 50 states. I've been to Kalamazoo, Kathmandu, Timbuktu, Rancho Cucamonga, and Lake Titicaca. And I learned two things. Two things. Number one is you play with yourself in public sometimes. I don't know the rest of the dose going to be. And number two, the best little city in America is Sioux Falls. Yeah, Midwest All Pro. Definitely didn't think we'd be getting a promo for uh, Sioux Falls. This is fantastic. Somebody's got to do it, right? I love it. <laughs> I was hoping we would get more publicity when our truth said Sioux Falls City. Oh. They weren't even in the area, I believe, but people do confuse Sioux City, Iowa and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Mm, I got gotcha. you. Do you think your WWE career might have looked different if you hadn't had some of the issues that you had behind the scenes? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, right at the beginning of the, uh, the wellness program, I, I failed a test and it, it, it got me fired pretty much right away. Like now, or before when I was on the road, it was three fires, but, you know, they had sent me to rehab and I came back and I don't know, it was a difficult road. It was, it was, a, it was a different time, but and then when I got rehired in 2009, I probably wasn't in the shape that I should have been in. And so when I came back, it was like, uh, we'll pass. Hmm. Do you think when you got rehired in 2009, the way you were booked was maybe sort of like a punishment for what you had done before? I, I wasn't booked. That yeah. was just it. I mean, I, they hired me and I showed up. Uh, and I said, oh, well, Vince didn't like the way Eugene looked, so it was out. And that was it? Yep. Wow. And, well, then they put me on... They called me. I they, they called me and said, "Oh, we want you to come to Canada." So I had to go to the uh, wrestle the Calgary kid who was Miz. And then, and like I, Eugene had been on TV in, in whatever three years, two years, just bringing right. back for a contract on the pole match that he loses, and that was it. Wow. When you were sent to rehab, were you ready to go, or did you just kind of go because you knew it's what you had to do to save your job? It's a tough decision. I mean, looking back now, I don't know if I should have went or. Because I had learned that, you know, many people have a ton of problems and I had a problem and some people are sicker than others. Um, but uh, it was just financially, I, I ended up, you know, quitting all that much later, going to a, a, a different doctor in Louisville who helped me through uh, taking Suboxone, which was a, a godsend. And I came off of it much easier than trying to go there and then. It, it, it hurt me financially, absolutely. Because you weren't with WWE? Well, I mean, even when I was, I wasn't making the money. And then when I came back on TV, I, I, you know, they would bring me to TV. And it was a long time before they really kind of got me going again. And I never really picked up. 
So what, I mean, what actually happens when you go to rehab? Is it like cold turkey? Like you're done? You can't do this anymore? Um, for people who are the worst addicts, the basic prescription is, you know, don't do drugs, don't drink, don't gamble. Don't, if, if it's whatever that vice is, whatever, uh, emotionally that we have inside of us, that the symptom is coming out as, as me being obsessed on something, People who do hoarding in their houses, people that do hoarding, it's, it's that same kind of uh, obsession of, of, you know, and it's just an out of control. They say it's a disease. Some people say it's a choice, but it's a difficult thing that people live with. Mm. I mean, I'll still have a glass of wine today, but back then we were also wrestling really hard and I'd had a knee surgery. I had a torn patella and I was trying to come back from that. So I was heavy, you know, to taking the, the, the opiates and the pain pills to, to cover the pain. And that's when they put me in an angle with Kurt Angle. So I'm trying to keep up with him on one leg after surgery. So I, I probably didn't allow myself long enough to heal. And it just kind of, uh, I was trying to mask it by taking whatever it is that I took, you know, you know, just the opiates that they were prescribing. This was, this was also in, in, in the pre-education on opiates era. Well, this right. was back in the, the people that are now filing lawsuits against those companies for the doctors pushing them. Which at the time, I mean, that, that was the answer. You hurt? Here, take this. Yeah. You know? Little did you know, you're trying to keep up with Kurt Angle, who was doing the exact same stuff. If you watch our match at SummerSlam, you can tell that I'm not 100% because he's like shooting me across the ring and I can't even run. I, I couldn't keep up with him, but I, I couldn't run at all. Huh. So, but crazy that you're trying to keep up with Kurt Angle in the ring, who's, you know, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. You, you probably weren't even aware that he also was addicted at the same time. I think everybody in the back was aware of what was going on because it was always one locker room. Nobody really dug into anybody's business, but mm. the guys that uh, kind of were familiar would end up palling around every now and then or whatnot. It was, I'm sure there's some people that were very quiet about whatever they did or didn't do, but because um, we were a crew that we were together all the time for a long time, you know, and, and we just got to know each other. And you seem to be in a much better place now in spite of all this. Well, I mean, and, and like, I don't, know that, I don't know that I was in a bad place then. Oh, okay. you know, I was just having to do what I had to do to, to, to keep following the dream, in my right. opinion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But then it was, uh, Eddie had passed away. And then the scene was, see what happened was, we were in England. I believe we were in Manchester. At the hotel, I'd taken some sleeping medicine, got my, uh, the food sent up to me. So I had the tray and I'm going to set the tray outside the door and the door shuts on me and I left my key in there. I'm in my boxer shorts. So I have to go down to the front desk. Well, the bar was right there and everybody was in the bar. All the fans, all the agents, Triple H is in the bar and I'm halfway to the, and just collapsed and that was it. So they put me on a luggage cart and taken out an ambulance. And after oh. that, then it was like, okay, you have to go talk to the, you have to have a, a vacation. Wow. But then <laughs> shortly after that is when they started the wellness policy. Right. It's, it's, it's a much better, it's a much better thing, but it's also education. We know that opiates can lead to a, 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 a certain end, but also education on now we have to train our bodies differently. We can't try to be a bodybuilder and wrestle. We have to try to, Work out to be durable, 
and to take the amount of shock that the body's going to have to take, which is what they do at the performance center. They, they, they train very differently than back then when, when, I, when I was coming up because everybody wanted to be a bodybuilder. Yeah. But that's not necessarily the best way to train. Right. I feel like if you weren't in your boxers, this situation would have been very different. <laughs> what do you do, man? You know, makes for a good story. It's, it's a hell of a story. And then, so the wellness policy was uh, mostly because of what happened with Chris Benoit, right? No, no, Chris was still alive. Uh, uh, Eddie, Eddie oh, passed away. Right. Was- and then I got the issue in, in England. And then shortly after they, they, they started it. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's been taken it care of now. Room, it made the locker room better. Cause I mean, and it's not yeah. like there was a huge problem there, but as many people learned, opiates started to take effect on everybody in society. Yeah. And, and it just, it was just a, a, a pandemic that we're in now, you know, that, that we've created. Right. It's, yeah. it's unfortunate because it was at a time when doctors would push that and it was okay. It was okay. You get from the doctor and then you start to figure out, you know, this stuff. Yeah. Might be a little bit more dangerous than we're, we're, we're giving it the, the liberty of. Right. How much wrestling do you watch now? I probably watch wrestling every day, but I'll watch old wrestling because I want to watch to see what the guys that I liked back then did in certain matches. Or I'll watch, you know, I want to work this week in training on being a vicious heel. So I'll watch Arn Anderson or Fit Finley, a lot of that. I want to work on being a babyface. So I'll, work, I'll watch Brad Armstrong nonstop, which is awesome. You know, I, I've got a guy that um, he's going to wear a Japanese mask. So I'm going to watch Great Muda and guys mm-hmm. like that to just kind of get a, a sense of of things that we might be able to draw upon. The best ideas are stolen. <laughs> Always. <laughs> History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes, I think, is, uh, is the phrase I've heard. This might be difficult to answer, but if you had a go-to match that you were going to put on, what's that match for you? Me at the main event of WrestleMania. I don't know. I don't care who it's against. Good Lord. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll ask my students when they come in. I say, I'll ask them, what's the greatest match of all time? And everybody gives all their different answers. And then I usually come back with, what has drawn the most money? If we're a business that's trying to make money, we're going to find the greatest by the matches that have drawn the most money or the most people. So mm. you could say, you know, the most people in a building, most people, you know, in, 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 in an open, open arena, most people on pay-per-view, most people in attendance. Most money, biggest right. gate, you know, biggest pay-per-view gate. You know, there's a couple of different factors, but there's been guys in history that have said that Flair and Antonio Noki drew, uh, drew 250,000 people in North Korea. I don't know. So what's the biggest draw then? Is it Rock Hogan? I think it was, uh, I, if I'm not wrong, uh, Triple H and Roman Reigns in the Dallas Oh, right. And yeah, AT&T Stadium, WrestleMania 32. I, I could be wrong, but I think that... that, that, that so we're going to... Yeah, one of those categories, in one of those categories, it, it, it exceeded everything else. But Roxena also might have drawn the most people maybe before that, or maybe they drew the most money. I don't know all the facts. Right. I just know that if we're trying to make money, if we're trying to draw people, that's how we got to define what we're looking for. We've got to find our, our goal as, as business part of, of professional wrestling. The artist... The performance yeah. part is something completely different, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I guess at the end of the day, it's a business and you are it looking is. at this definitely from a business standpoint. It is. But yeah. if people are going to be drawn on the performance, 
you also have to be a good performer. Hmm. I, I, I liken live pro wrestling to being like a stand-up comedian. If you go out there and you start doing your, your bit and people aren't laughing, you have to be good enough in the room to find out what these people want to hear, what yeah. they want to laugh at, and then be able to tell those jokes. You have to be able to switch gears because if you keep going with your material, it's... Yeah. So what do you, I mean, what kind of advice would you have now for people who are wrestling in arenas where there are literally zero people in there and there's no reaction to feed off of? Well, I think it's a little bit different time now because the pay structure for WWE guys, it might be a little bit different with the network and less pay-per-views and wrestling in front of no people. If those guys are content with with, with what they're making, then go for it. If you want to be that pro wrestling superstar that we all grew up watching. The business is very different now. Yeah. You can still do it, but it's, it's sometimes it's not as lucrative. Yeah. It's definitely, a, it's definitely a different business from the one that you grew up in, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, from, from when I watched it as a kid to when, when I got into wrestling to now it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar media company that, that, that tours the world and sells merchandise. Well, that's a, that's on one side of things. That's the WWE side of things. But then you've got this whole other side of Impact Wrestling, Ring of Honor, AEW, New Japan, that you know is not the multi-billion-dollar media company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like like I said, like like those places where people can make themselves stars, they can make whatever they want. They're sometimes given a lot more leeway. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say anyone else is probably not having fun. Those guys are probably having fun. Mm. Those guys are loving it because you can tell in the performance. If you right. go out there and you're having a good time and, and whatever it is on your face and you're into it, the people are going to be into it. Yeah. Guys, the, if the people that are uncomfortable in the ring, sometimes it, it, it comes out more times than not. But those guys usually look like they're having a good time. So the fans have a good time. Well, you look like you're always having a good time whenever we see you in the ring. That's all you can do, right? That's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> I, I always say it's important to be grateful. And I, in fact, I say, be great, be grateful. And I want to want to end this interview. I end every interview by asking you, what are three things that you're grateful for in your life right now? Oh, well, I'd have to say my health, although as, as, as I'm getting older, it feels like it's getting limited, but definitely for my health, for my wife and for the family around me that, uh, that, that, that supports me for Sioux Falls, absolutely for Sioux Falls, because they, they've accepted this dream that I have of, of running a pro wrestling territory. They've taken us in wholeheartedly. And, um, you know, just the, the life in which I've lived, I'm thankful for that because it's, it's been an incredible journey. You know, I, I, I don't regret anything. Yeah. Where can people find out more info about Midwest All Pro? Um, Midwest All Pro, uh, MidwestAllPro.com is our website. At, at Midwest All Pro is our Twitter. We got the Facebook. We got the Instagram. We have the YouTube channel, which I, I, I love YouTube. So I, I run the Midwest All Pro YouTube channel, and I run the Nick Dinsmore YouTube channel, which I've got a lot of Nick Dinsmore matches. And then Eugene is at U-G-E-N-E Dinsmore, D-I-N-S-M-O-R-E uh, for the Twitter. Um, I don't have – I do have an Instagram, but I don't use Instagram. I, it, I got to a point where I'm, like, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> You're like, I've, I've just listed off 10 other things. I don't need to add one other thing to that. It, it was a bit, when, when Instagram started, I was over social media. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people grab to it and really like it. And it's, it's very successful. But I'm like, I just, I can't do another one. You know, right. I, I do Midwest All Pro Facebook. I do Midwest All Pro Twitter. My Twitter. I, I have a Facebook. But I don't post a whole lot, but I don't want to do another one. <laughs> you like. Nick, I want to I want to say thank you for uh, this has been a great conversation, and I want to acknowledge you for 
taking a character and running with it. Not everybody would have been able to do that. And not only did you run with it, you made it a super successful character. So I, I want to acknowledge you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's, it's been you know, an incredible journey. It was a magical time. You know, it, it has allowed me to keep performing wrestling as a, for a living. So I'm thankful for that. Well, I'm thankful for this conversation. So again, Eugene, Nick Dismore, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Yay! Well, there you go. Nick Eugene Dinsmore, and a huge thank you to him for such an insightful, in-depth look at the creation of that character. And again, thank you to Coda from the podcast Uncut Live for connecting us together and making this interview happen. And you know, Eugene is an example like Hurricane or Super Rosie or any number of other characters where if you commit fully to the character and you are the character rather than just playing the character, that people actually get invested into it with you. And again, you can find Nick on Twitter at the letter U-G-E-N-E Dinsmore, Eugene Dinsmore. And while we're talking about commitment, because that seems to be, you know, the most important thing in getting your character over in wrestling, I, I can't help but think of this quote from the author, Neil Strauss, who says, without commitment, you cannot have depth in anything. And think about that. Without committing to a relationship, you can't have depth in it. Without committing to a job, you can't have depth and really, you know, go as far as you want in that job. Again, without commitment, you cannot have depth in anything. This was such a deep conversation. I loved it. So I hope you enjoyed it as well. Be great. Be grateful, my friends. Have a great week. And we will see you on the next one.